Frank, when I very first met you about six years ago, we were sitting down at the Xamarin meetup thingy that we had in Bellevue, and I immediately recognized your name, Mr. Kruger Systems, Inc., <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And how original. How very original. <laughs> I remember seeing it because it was in all of these files for every single app that I was creating at Seton at the time because... I was using SQLite everywhere as the number one database to end all databases for mobile applications. And I want to personally thank you first for creating such amazing library and files that seem to be used by everyone under the sun now. That's funny. You're just making me think that uh, that's something we're missing from our current NuGet distribution model. You were forced to see my copyright at the top of the file because I distributed it as just a single file for the longest time. Yeah, it took me a while to get onto the whole PCL and .NET standard bandwagon. Uh, memories. <laughs> Those were the days. Those were the days, though. Just here's a file. Have fun. The first copyright on it is 2009, so we're coming up on its 10-year anniversary. That's wow. kind of, that's a big deal. I think it'll, I have to find the dates, but I think it'll be in the fall or something like that. Should throw a party. Should make some t-shirts or some mugs or something, maybe. <laughs> I think uh, I think that'd be pretty great. And it's just a database. <laughs> like the, it's not the, even uh, a database. It's a wrapper over the database. That's the worst part. I can't even take credit for SQLite. SQLite is awesome. It's this amazing, in case you haven't used it, it's this amazing um, database. But the cool thing is you don't run it in a separate process. You run it in your process just by linking in the small library. And any app you write, you can access a database. It's kind of glorious. It's how I wrote all my first iOS apps is using a database. And, and people don't know, I mean, technically, you know, iOS and Android have databases. Now, core data, I believe, is also just a wrapper on top of <laughs> SQLite. And then also... Yeah. Room, which is the new database, also I'm pretty sure is a wrapper on top of SQLite for Android, but Android itself also has SQLite that it distributes automatically. So like it's there, yeah. but no one wants to write multiple code bases and figure out all of the magic that, you know, with Link and everything, they, they want to just be there. They don't want to access the raw APIs. Yeah, the, the SQLite raw APIs, honestly, they're not so bad. Back when I was a C++ programmer, I actually used them. That's why I was familiar with this, and I was able to write uh, uh, SQLite-net. Uh, they're not terrible, but they're not good either. <laughs> and you have all the concerns with C++ of like memory management and freeing your objects and how do you handle strings and all that stuff. So... There are more wrapper libraries over SQLite than <laughs> any other library out there. I don't know. I, I'm making that up, but I, let's pretend that's true because it feels like it. And as he said, uh, everyone's got it. And even today, uh, there's a standard one shipped with basically .NET, and that's an ADO.NET implementation of it, good old ADO.NET. I think pretty much every platform has a SQLite wrapper that you can use. Uses that. Yeah, and I use that in my step counter application because it ships with Xamarin out of the box. So you can just go and add the ADO.net. And that API is not bad either. It's pretty, you're writing like SQL commands to it, but mm -hmm. it's really not bad. And it's there and it's a cross platform database. So it's like, why not? You know, 
Yeah. Yeah. The um the advantage my library has over it is mine has a very light ORM and as you said earlier, link library support. So those are just, you know, you get tired of typing in queries. SQL's not a terrible language, but it's just redundant, you know, it's just how much do I really feel like typing in? And you don't have a type checker and all that stuff. So I wrote this, uh, I wrote SQLite-net just to try to make it easy to access the database also. It's fun for me because you have this in continuous integration and delivery, and you have me on the project. So I know when you're working on it because I get build failure <laughs> notifications all the time. Do you? And I, I didn't know and I, that. <laughs> and I go, oh, Frank's working on SQLite-net. I was like, oh, something's <laughs> happening. And, and honestly, the last few days, my inbox has been lighting up. So what's happening for the 10-year anniversary? <laughs> oh, gosh, you know, I'd even think of it that way. No, I was just doing um, a little point release. Uh, we talked about this quite a few episodes ago. And I had said that I was sitting on this beta version of the library for a long time because I was changing some fundamental things and I was scared. I was afraid of releasing. Well, finally, I did release it. And that was version 1.5. And it's been out there for a while. I've been letting everyone update to it and see how it works for them. And James, do you think it went well or do you think it went poorly? (laughs) I have to imagine that it went spectacular because there's 144,000 downloads and I imagine not 144,000 issues. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. Thanks for that. You're welcome. But um, it it wasn't perfect. (laughs) There were some mistakes made in the 1.5 release. Uh, One of them was uh, age-old dude. I, I, I broke the API. There were libraries out there. Um, some of which were even from Microsoft that used my library. And they expected a certain number of parameters on the constructor. Frank gone and changed that number of parameters and totally broke a bunch of dependent builds. Oops. Oopsie Um, poopsie. Now, now that's because you went from 1.3 to 1.5 and not to 2.0. That's your problem. Yeah, exactly. If I had declared everyone, yeah, I, I'm breaking the API, which I desperately want to do. <laughs> so that a 2.0 will come someday because, oh my God, I've made so many design mistakes with this thing. But the truth is the current version is battle-hardened. It works and I don't want to change too many things about it right now. So that was just a mess up. Um, and then I changed a bunch of defaults. And, you know, for like you said, for the majority of people, it was perfectly fine. But there was there was a um, I don't know I'll call them a minority but a certain set of people it wasn't fine for <laughs> and <laughs> caused a lot of trouble for in fact <laughs> and there were mistakes in my implementation there were um, mistakes in my thinking through anyway all that put short was one point six correct the mistakes of one point five there you go <laughs> yeah <laughs> so if it's a one point six do you feel like you have addressed all those issues or did you do little point releases to fix some of the issues with 1.5? There are actively 234 issues on the repo right now. I mean, it's impossible to make this thing bug-free and to do what everyone wants it to do, you know, simultaneously. Uh, So, no, but I'm I'm, I'm happy where it's at. Um, There were a lot of reoccurring issues. And so, you know, 
if you see an issue once, you're like, oh, okay, someone had that problem. If you see it twice, then you're like, oh my God, the world's coming to an end. <laughs> and some of them had like four issues. <laughs> they were oh, no. multi- multi-posted that much. So those, those were good to fix, huh? Uh, plus a cool little feature, um, backup. So you um, mm-hmm. right when the database is running in memory, you can just say dot backup and give it a path to a file and it'll just spit out a new file. So I think that's just kind of super exciting. But uh, you know what I the most surprising thing to me was how many people were using the asynchronous version of the library. Mm. Do, you, do you use that one? So I go back and forth because when we started, there was no asynchronous version of it. And async await really wasn't a thing when I got started. And then it was. And I believe I ran into the issue where I was using back in the day different flavors of it for like Windows Phone, which then be in the Windows 8, which became async model, but Xamarin wasn't. And then I you know, was swapping back and forth. And I think in half of my apps, I'd use the asynchronous one and the other half I don't for uh, monkey cash. I do not use it because you told me not to, not because there was something wrong with it, just because you're like, it's fast enough. Like you're not, you're not doing a thousand billion rights, uh, mm-hmm. and it's not really needed, but right. I'd imagine that if there is an async version that everybody will be using that async version. Yeah. Uh, I, I was, I did, I, I'm not as imaginative as you and I just didn't see it coming. I was going through all the bugs and it just slowly started to dawn on me that everyone's example code was the async connection and not the synchronous connection, which is what I was totally used to. And I think that's because um, we had a lot of UWP programmers where that's already a very async API. I think all the old school mobile people are just like, ah, whatever. It's fast. As you said, <laughs> that's the fast cool enough. thing about SQLite. It's fast. Yeah. So um, I... I wanted to make sure that the async implementation was good, (laughs) to be blunt. (laughs) (laughs) I always kind of worried about it because, um, yeah, the library came out long before async was released. And so it really grew with the times. There were a lot of funny things I put in it that, you know, today I wouldn't have written it that way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so it was nice to be able to um, just go back through, hopefully without breaking the API too much, hashtag too much, um, and fix a lot of those old bugs. Nice. So do you think that you you crushed all the old bugs? So what was the key problem, though, with the async version? Were were you just wrapping things in task.run? Were you putting them in a queue? Was it being abused? I think often when I see async await, I'll to put a link to this really great blog post that introduces async await. What I find all the time to be some of the issues with async await is not that, I mean, I think it's a more complex subject for developers that have never used async await or coming from a different language or coming to C-sharp for the first time. Now we're in this world where async await is everywhere. So I see things like um, dot result, or I see task out run and for no reason. And like, you're not awaiting on that task out run or you're like, Oh, I need to, you know, get the geolocation every five seconds. So I'm going to do task out run indefinitely and keep kicking it off over. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? Like, don't do that. You know? Um, so was it the usage or was it the implementation or was it a combination of both? I'm very curious. 
Oh, man, I got like three topics out of what you just said there. <laughs> so, where to even begin, James? Um, on the um, too much async front, I think that's what I'm going to call it, what you just said in, <laughs> toward mm-hmm. the end there. Um, in the beginning, I think I was appalled by it because, yeah, that optimizer in my head is like, no, you don't need to do that. And that should do this and that should do that. But the truth is, um, I've really grown to appreciate JavaScript on the web and building UIs in that world where um, you can't block the UI thread. Um, Anything that takes a long amount of time is callback based. Mm -hmm. And so like an await mechanism, they even stole async and await from uh, C sharp, which stole from F sharp, but whatever. Um, So I appreciate that world because it forces you to have um, a UI that's always updating because you really just can't stall it. And I find in .NET, because it's not the default that it's easier for us to stall the UI. So you just have to be more diligent in your apps to uh, call async. So if people err on the side of too much async, I think that that's an okay direction to err in, honestly. Um, efficiency is not the king of everything. And in this case, it's it's funny that inefficiency, as we think of it, will actually lighten up the UI thread. So it's probably a good thing in the long run. Okay, two more topics. <laughs> okay, hit me next. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So why why async, SQLite, all this stuff? Um, there are two big issues that I find everyone has with databases, and in particular, databases on uh, mobile. And that is, is the database multi-threaded? Can I access it from multiple threads? And then in the case of my library, there is uh, a nomos orthogonal question, but it comes up tons because it comes into your architecture. Do I have many connections to the database or do I have one connection and lock to it to and fro? So have you given either of these things consideration ever? Well, I am under the vein of always having a single connection. So it's a very global mechanism where I have a singleton to pump out my database connection and all the CRUD operations around it. So if I'm doing that, then I could put locks around it. And then no matter what, if for some reason the garbage collector, the app shuts down, if I am coming back the next time, I still have that same database or it kind of lights back up. So I don't have to worry about spinning up new connections or anything like that. So just kind of keep one around and end of, that's how I've always done it. Is that wrong? Um, it's fine. You know, the the trick with SQLite is there's just so many ways to use it. <laughs> it really is like it can handle so many different scenarios in different ways. So if that's the way that works for you mentally, then 100% A-OK. Um, the trick is um, it's hard to be prescriptive to people like that. Um, by default, the library does not do what you're doing. It doesn't have a default like that. Like SQLite, it's just kind of agnostic. It's like, eh, you figure out how to access the database. Yeah. That's up to you. <laughs> um, but in the case of the async uh, connection, I wanted to be a little smarter than that. Um, it's always tried to be a little smarter than that. And I think nowadays I have a pretty good handle on it and it's actually performant. So the trick with the async interface is I wanted to free you from all of this thought. Mm. So if you wanted to create one async connection and share that, that totes works. Okay. If 
in a for loop, you create connections, you know, that totes works too. So both scenarios, it literally, I tried to design it so it doesn't matter how many of these things you create. Yeah. So it's a connection pooling, all that kind of stuff. Um, So that was me trying to free you from that. The problem was in the 1.5 release, I screwed up a tiny bit because the other issue of multi-threaded access. So what you're doing is you're locking the database on off. So that works fine for most apps where you're reading and writing sparingly to it. So good. Yep. Done. (laughs) Done. Yeah. Ship it. Yep. So the problem is if you have an app that's constantly reading and occasionally writing, things like that. So um, what kinds of apps are these? I don't know. You're collecting a lot of data. um, Driving around. One that James Clancy has a music app and he would, you know, have a list of 3000 songs. And so you're like constantly querying the database for this metadata, that metadata, the song list, all that, you know, you're just pulling in lots of data. And so your locking mechanism is not good for that scenario, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to make the async one, again, my goal, since it's the one everyone's using, uh, free you from that burden. And the default for async became um, let the database do the locking itself. Mm. Now, this is a new feature of SQLite and new as in it's like eight years old. But <laughs> when I first when I first released my library, it didn't exist. So that's why I didn't support it. <laughs> um, and this new feature is the database uh, is full, multi-threaded, capable, no worries. It'll do the locking itself without nice. you having to think about a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that's that really, cool? That is very cool because I just don't want to have to think about it. And when I was using the non-async version, I was like, oh, I'm just going to make sure that these are never overlapping. I can never do a write and a read at the same time and just, you know, you figure it out. But it'd be nice if it yeah, just figured it out f- for me, I guess. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, that'd be nice. I'm assuming that this probably opens up a lot of other capabilities, too, as far as where else you can run this code. But I think before we get too far down this rabbit hole, maybe let's talk a little sponsor. Frank, how do you feel about that? Ooh. Yeah, I'm excited. Who's sponsoring us? Well, this week for March Conflict, we have our good friends over at Instabug. Now, Instabug's a really cool company because they enable app developers to get in-app feedback and bug reporting for any of their mobile apps. And what's cool here is it allows you to really gather a bunch of feedback on your app, whether you're trying to receive feedback or it's a crash report. to your testers and to your users to kind of have live conversations with them. So let me tell you what what this means for your app. You have an SDK, works for iOS, Android, React Native, Cordova, Xamarin, Unity, you name it. And the idea is that get rid of what you think about bug reporting or user feedback that was this old manual, you have to figure it out yourself. They'll do it all for you so you can focus on debugging, fixing, and prioritizing your product backlog to ship better apps. So after you install the SDK, you can easily set up this kind of two-way communication channel. So imagine when you install the Instabug SDK, you can opt in to this feedback mechanism. So when the user, you know, shakes their phone, you can have them immediately send you feedback about your app. So instead of them running to the app store and complaining, they run into an issue, say, hey, give me some feedback. Now, what I like here is it's not just a generic give feedback, write something. What Instabug does 
is it enables you to get screenshots and network logs, UI view hierarchy, device details. And if there's crashes, it'll automatically generate everything for you, including stack traces. And it even goes farther because they have an entire chat platform that you can integrate. So instead of just getting feedback, what if you could provide messaging with your users immediately? You can not only do messaging, but you can also set up surveys immediately with Instabug so you can build better applications based on your users' feedback. They also integrate into tons of third-party tools like Jira, Slack, Trello, GitHub, you name it, they probably support it. And they're used by more than 20,000 companies around the globe, including eBay, Lyft, PayPal, and a whole lot more. Now, they have a special offer for our listeners. To get started and try out their SDK, you can go to instabug.com slash merge, sign up, install the SDK, and they'll give you a free Instabug t-shirt. Go to instabug.com slash merge to learn more. And thanks to Instabug for sponsoring the pod. Awesome. That is so awesome. (laughs) It's huge. I, I love like full solutions like that. It's like, do you need this? Yeah, it does that. Do you need this? Yeah, Toast does that. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 I was talking to uh, the the guys and, and gals over there at Instabug, and they're like, yeah, you know, we're more than just a crash, you know, platform. You know, it's Instabug. It's more about this feedback loop, which I think is really cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So nice. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed. So I use some tools that do like one tenth of all that. So I'm just drooling during the ad. Yeah, it's <laughs> I need to cool. go to the website. It's pretty cool. I'm, uh, yeah, I'll send you some some more info too. So everyone go ahead over there, give some more. So I got this question and we were talking about this before the chat because you were coming out with this new version and someone on my live stream, I was building the SQL or not SQL, but I was building a SignalR chat client. I was like, man, how am I going to store these messages or how am I going to do this? And someone goes, well, I know you're on a server. I'm like, oh, do I need SQL Azure? I need this. They're like, just use SQLite-net. And I go, how? I got, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, just use, I use it all the time. So is this a recommendation to use SQLite on the server? Oh my God. So we, we finally got to it 21 minutes in <laughs> to our topic. So yeah, James, um, I think it is. <laughs> I'm putting a question mark at the end because I'm doing what I'm considering an experiment, but that's totally heartening to hear that someone said they do it all the time. So that means hopefully my experiment's going to go well. Uh, so let's back up. I've heard that advice before too, that people run SQLite on the server. And I'm totally with you that I I keep wanting to make websites that truly do need a database. But then I'm like, oh, gosh, now I got to get a SQL subscription. I got to remember how to use (laughs) ADO.net, you know, doesn't have a cute little ORM built into it. Then I got to learn about migrations. Oh, my God, I'd never want to do it. (laughs) So I built like all of Fugit.org that never touches a database ever. It just does everything in memory. If the server ever goes down, whatever, it'll rebuild the memory model. (laughs) I designed it that way because I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to touch a a server. (laughs) Um, But I had read that the SQLite.org.net.com, the website for it, Mm. runs itself on a SQLite database. And... I'd heard that before, and it was always in the back of my head. And for years, I always wondered, A, is it true? B, would it work for me? Or are these just like magic magicians that knew how to set it up and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'd imagine that if it's just like any app, it's just running. My Me, when I thought about it, I go, okay, well, if I'm thinking servers, how does this work if I'm scaling a server and 
then my website's now running on multiple servers or multiple machines. I think that was my fear when with when I go to the web, right? Because when I'm on my mobile device, this has always been my thing. If people listen to me build an app or build a website, when I go to the website world, I'm so confused. I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> so when I go on a mobile device, everything is on the mobile device. It's all there, Frank. It's in, it's in, the, it's in the computer. It's inside of that yeah. iPhone. And I put that on disk. But then if I have a website, I'm imagining that there is a disk that I can write things to, but tomorrow, will that be the same disk that I am writing information yeah. to and from? And I do not know. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was exactly my problem, too. Uh, I grew up in the era where you did actually run your own servers. So you controlled the hard drive. And so, sure, you could put the database on your hard drive. Now, SQLite didn't exist back then. But the concept was, well, it's your hard drive, so you can put whatever you want on it. And if you don't back it up, well, that's your problem. <laughs> you better back it up. Yeah. Um, but when we all switched to the cloud, things got a little more confusing. I'm like, well, is there a file system? I guess there has to be a file system. How else would this website work? But like, am I allowed to use it? You know, I'm constrained to the mobile world, too, where we're really discouraged from using the file system. Mm -hmm. So I just, I kind of think of websites in that same vein. I'm like, is a cloud website allowed to do any of this? So to cut to a chase here, it really depends on how your hosting works and all that stuff. Uh, but in my case, I have some sites up on Azure, uh, Azure Web Apps. And it turns out, James, that the file system that they mount for you is shared between all instances of that web app. Mm. So that means oh. even if you scale out to 10 machines, they're all um, mounting the same networked file system. Oh. So that means you can put a SQLite database in onto that file system and it's A, magically replicated between all the things uh, just because the file system is becoming the distribution mechanism. And B, C, I don't know why I started a list here. Uh, it's just awesome. You put the file on the hard drive and now you have a database. It's super cool. And if you ever want to back up the database, you copy the file off. It's so awesome. <laughs> well, you know what? They... You want to restore the database, James? You know how you restore a database? How do you restore it? You copy the file back to the server. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> and they also at the same time have, they have it so you can create automatic snapshots of your server every night too, or sure. whenever you want. So you could, sure. you, yeah. could, you could roll back that way too, which is interesting. Okay. I didn't consider that at all, but that's cool too. <laughs> yeah. But you could have a, um, you could have an Azure function that has access to that pool that then puts the, a database backup into blob storage for you as a backup mechanism every single night, you know? Uh-huh. It's <laughs> totally crazy. cool. I love it. Um, now, there are issues here. Okay. <laughs> so you Maybe. are paying for a pricing tier. Yep. Mm. So you have limited hard drive space. Uh, so I forget what tier I'm on, but I think I'm, I get at least a gigabyte. So for the, what I'm doing, a gigabyte database is plenty. I mean, I guess you should... But they also have 10 gigabyte, 100 gigabytes. So, you know, if your database is that big, that's your problem. I also don't quite know how well SQLite scales. <laughs> We're really putting to a test all that uh, new awesome multi-threaded code it has and its own locking and all that stuff. Uh, and then I should mention that 
Azure also has virtual file systems that are like a separate product. You can get one of those and somehow magically twist tie it together with your web app Mm -hmm. and somehow it mounts to a folder. And so you can buy basically unlimited storage on one of those. So that's still a scale out option. But the truth is, if my website ever scales out to that big, big of a size, as they say, that's a good problem to have, and it's not a big deal. So what I'm excited for is that all these dorky, stupid little websites that I build, I can add a dorky little database <laughs> really oh. easily. Yeah, so you could share then, if you're creating a website and a mobile app, you could just share all of your same exact SQL-like code between uh-huh. all of them. Uh-huh. Wow. Isn't that cool? That is cool. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's essentially what um, Azure has what do they call it? Like Cosmos DB or Cloud DB? What's the product called these days? They have, Be a salesman. They have Cosmos DB, which is a NoSQL solution, globally uh-huh. scale replication, blah, 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 blah things. I mean, of course, they have mm-hmm. SQL, uh, Azure SQL databases, but those yeah, are the two. Those are cool. Yeah. You those either have ones. Yeah. a relational SQL database or globally distributed, you know, blah, 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 all the yeah. things very fast. Well, they're all cool, but I just love how <laughs> this is just one little file. <laughs> uh, there's one little catch on performance. Uh-oh. Do you want to talk about performance for a sec? <laughs> I love, you know, one topic I uh, love more than anything is performance. Yeah, I want my web apps to be the super performant of the performance. So, Frank, I, I have to imagine that these writes and reads better be fast or else <laughs> get out of here. Or else. Or know. else what? I don't know. <laughs> the or... server comes a crashing down. I know we're going to find out what the or else is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, there's a cool new feature of SQLite also called write ahead logging. And this is really um, updating it to high performance territory where it's trying to have different locks for reads versus writes and do things in memory, not always writing to the disk so much. So if you really are doing a billion writes to it, then this is a great feature for you to have this right ahead logging. Now, I made another little mistake with the 1.5 release. I enabled right ahead logging by default. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out, (laughs) pros and cons. So, I mean, it doesn't really hurt anything to have it on. But the truth is, most apps don't take advantage of it. But in the case of running it on a server, I probably will enable it because... Who knows? Yeah, why not? <laughs> really Go for not. It. A, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Uh, now, the one sad thing about it, though, is that if you enable it, um, all that that cool feature of uh, how do you back up the database, um, copy the file, how do you restore it, copy the file mm-hmm. at that feature, you uh, lose that feature, James, by enabling this. Yeah. Yeah. So there's trade offs to be had. But anyway, um, I just. Uh, I put it up on Fugit, and I put a new uh, feature on Fugit. So now when you go to a package, it's going to list all of the packages that use that package. So it's going to show packages that are dependent on you. And that feature is now SQLite powered. And I'm super excited. Wow. Okay. Well, so I see here, I see dependent. So these these are... the top ones or they're all of them or how did you do this or what's it showing me okay this is okay so this feature is a little bit half-baked mm-hmm. everyone so i requested this feature too <laughs> this is me requesting this feature by the way cool 
and it's 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 going to slowly trickle out. It's a trickle out feature. The truth is, there's just a million layers of caching on the website, so it's going to take forever for things to uh, get fully updated. Uh, so this feature, I've always been hesitant to implement. Uh, there were two ways to do it. I could query NuGet for this data. But honestly, it's a very rough query for them, and I didn't want to do it. Yeah, it's tell me every package that uses this package. Um, it's mean. When the truth is, um, I could do it a much more lightweight solution, and that is whenever I encounter a package, I can just note the dependency tree, basically. And so I'm building up my own database of dependencies. And so the data is only going to slowly trickle out. As people use Fugit, it'll populate itself. It's a funny way to implement the feature. And honestly, I had a mixture of like, ah, who cares? I can just hit NuGet servers. But I thought this was also a great, um, honestly, a test case for SQLite-net. I wanted to make sure that it could hold up in this environment. And it's just kind of dog-fooding my own library. Uh, let's see if it can run on the server, because I've always wanted it to run on the server. So this feature. I'm uh, I'm a little worried for you. So I just tested this feature, and I went to my circle image plugin, my NuGet, tapped mm -hmm. on it, which has a dependency mm -hmm. of Xamarin Forms, mm -hmm. went back to Xamarin Forms, and sure enough, there it was, which is cool. Now, my my fear for you, good sir, is something like Newtonsoft.json, which has a billion dependents. What is going to uh -huh. happen? I'm so curious. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm as far as I can calculate in my head, <laughs> um, I should. So number one, I blacklisted a bunch of packages. Everything that starts with system dot and Microsoft dot and mm. uh, net standard just because it turns out there's a million of those. Um, I don't do any tracking for. But yeah, the question was, do I blacklist Newtonsoft? <laughs> and I decided not to, um, because all my calculations said that SQLite can handle this. No biggie. So it's really just a user interface problem. And for right now, I took a really stupid user interface approaches. I only show the um, top 16 of the dependence, but I can totally just add a link to a page that shows every single one of them mm. from the database. Uh, crossing our fingers, it's a little bit of an experiment, James, to be thoroughly honest, but I figure if I can't have a little bit of fun with Fugit, then what's the point, huh? I, I gotta stretch my wings. Now, the next thing that we need on top of Fugit is a RESTful API, so I can query, you know, query these things from Fugit instead of from NuGit. Yeah, because you want an API on mine? Yeah. No, then someone will build the no James Git, J Git. <laughs> I don't know. No, I just I want to be able to run queries <laughs> against your poor little API, and then we're gonna hit that SQLite. That's the way to really stress test your little your little experiment okay. here. Okay, okay. You know, I'll add it. I'll add it. We'll, we'll see what people throw at it. You know, the last time I did this uh, with Wii, when I had people just attacking a server, people did a glorious job. People were writing scripts and attacking, like, the chat server. It was great. I got a lot of good free testing that day. <laughs> I am, I'm, uh, I'm very interested to see how you do it and if it all works. Yeah, so I hope everyone will go flood the website <laughs> just so I can find out if SQLite will be able to stand up. 
Right now, I did not enable that write-ahead logging, so uh, we'll find out if that's an issue. Who knows? Um, otherwise, stay tuned on Twitter, and hopefully I'll have some reports. <laughs> so far, it seems to be working for me. I'm pretty excited that you added this feature at a at a high level because I get to see all of the dependencies, but then also see its dependence. And to me, that's really cool as a developer to know that it's a good use case to say, look what I built and it's using SQLite. And if you're building something similar, you're not going to build the most ridiculous thing in the entire world as you, as you scale and want to geo-replicate and all these things. But for a lot of small little web apps, this is pretty cool um, in general. Yeah. And the database has pretty decent compression because um, I've just been hitting as many packages as I can think of to slightly populate the database. And it's still sitting there at like 50 kilobytes. So it's just, it's really aggressive about its compression. So this is a whole episode on how much I love SQLite. And uh, so everyone out there, watch out, watch for the 1.6 release. It's in beta now. You can grab it and try it. But otherwise, I'll probably release it. Of course, we'll have beautiful links to all the show notes for every single thing that we talked about. Frank, well, thank you for, of course, making SQL possible everywhere. Uh, I do appreciate that. You are my hero yet again in the world of any development that I ever do in my life. I'm not taking any credit. It's all the awesome <laughs> SQLite. Well, <laughs> I just put a silly wrapper on but it. I love that silly wrapper. <laughs> And I'm sure everyone else does. So <laughs> if you're right. running SQLite-net in ridiculous circumstances, probably on like Raspberry Pi or something like that, which I'm sure actually works, um, let us know. You can write us into the show. Go to mergeconflict.fm. There's a contact button up there. Boom. Send us an email. We love that. Of course, subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. Help us grow. And of course, thanks to Instabug for sponsoring this week's episode. I think that's going to do it, Frank. Anything else from you? No, this is super nerdy. <laughs> That's plenty. <laughs> I love nerdy topics. I'm all about it. Well, it's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs>